Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and more, all for free. And Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group providing concierge remote bookkeeping services for small firm architect. Emily Hall, Zailia Burroughs, and Lisa Zaldivar, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark? Hi, Mark. Thank you. It's great to have the three of you here. Today, we have friends joining us on the show, people who have supported Entree Architect for years, allies in the industry with a parallel mission of supporting and growing small firm architects just like us, Emily Hall, Zylea Burroughs, and Lisa Saldivar are experts in branding, and more specifically, branding small firms. Emily Hall leads CVG's Charette Venture Group's marketing program with a joint focus on attracting new clients and managing the broader marketing team that serves CVG's investment partners. She brings over 19 years of architectural marketing experience to CVG with a focus on discovering a firm's authentic personality and using it to drive strategy. And before I jump into the intros of Zylea and Lisa, we also have to talk about CVG a little bit at the end on what you do and why you do it and how you do it, because I want people to understand what CVG is. Um, you guys are doing a great job. We're allies in this world of architecture, and I want to make sure that people understand what you do, because it's a great, a very unique thing that you're doing over there. Um, so Zylea, Zylea Burroughs directs the marketing programs of all CVG investment partner firms. As a marketing and communications strategist with more than 18 years of experience, she previously ran her own consulting business that helped innovative firms increase their revenue and visibility. She also serves as marketing manager at two, or served as marketing manager <laughs> at two prominent architecture firms in Portland, Oregon, and uh, as Programs Director at the Portland Chapter of the American Institute of Architects. Zylea graduated with a BA in English Literature from New York University, and she is in location independent, which you've been on the show before, Zylea, talking about that, that you move around the world a whole bunch of, bunch of times. I'm not sure where you are now, but <laughs> um, if anybody's interested in 
location independence, sort of not having a home base for very long and then moving on and traveling throughout the world while you do what you do, um, go check out that episode. We'll have a link to that episode on the show notes. Uh, it's a great story. And Lisa, Lisa Saldivar directs branding, website, and graphic design activities over at Charette and, our, uh, and the investment partners, bringing over 10 years of experience in designing for the online and print landscapes. She has been involved in many aspects of creating powerful design brands within the architecture industry, including Entree Architect. Fun fact, Lisa designed the Entree Architect website when we were partners back in 2015. Entree Architect was Charette Venture Group's first investment, which I always love to mention. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, Lisa and I worked extensively together on developing what's there now at EntreeArchitect.com. Um, and she works with all of the partners over there uh, as they come in. Before we get too deep into this episode, let's say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT and Studio Services Bookkeeping. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. Your workload is piling up. With project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information right there at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. Even better, RCAT.com is free. It's free to use and requires no registration. So visit today at RCAT.com and access the information you need now. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group provides concierge remote bookkeeping services to small firm architects. Liberate yourself from bookkeeping tasks by outsourcing to trusted professionals who understand the nuances of your industry and your firm size. You can maintain control of your finances without doing all bookkeeping tasks yourself. Studio Services Bookkeeping goes beyond traditional bookkeeping to help you manage cash flow, analyze project profitability, handle invoicing, and streamline your financial systems. Learn how to start outsourcing your bookkeeping today at ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. That's ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. And mention Entree Architect to get five hours of free bookkeeping with a six-month contract. That's ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Before we jump into the, t the topic, let's talk a little bit about Charette. Just really briefly, maybe uh, one of you can just talk about what Charette does and, uh, and how you help small firm architects. Sure. I can lead off on that, Mark. Great. Uh, it's, it's our mission to help small architecture firms be better businesses. And we do that by kind of morphing around firms and offering all kinds of business services, both in strategy and execution, around finance, operations, uh, leadership, marketing, business development, ownership transition, basically everything that isn't architecture per se that's a business service, we can help with. And we're typically known for our investment partnership model, as you know, Mark, because you were in the program too. And that's a longer term uh, kind of holistic approach where we work with firms for a period of, of several years. And that's a shared risk model. So we provide all of those services, whichever services a firm might need. And we do that at a percentage of revenue basis. However, we also offer our services on an a la carte basis, which a lot of people don't know. So if you do have any kind of uh, any questions about running your practice in general? I mean, we could help with ownership transition. Our team, who's here today, works with marketing and business development, rebranding, new website, marketing strategy, social media, digital content. We can help with all of that. And uh, we have free business coaching sessions all the time. Uh, people can message me to set that up. It's emily at charettebg.com. Uh, you'll have the link, I'm sure, in your in your notes. Yeah. And I'd love we we just love to learn about uh, about different small firms, small firms, and how they're running their practices, 
And we talk to business leaders all the time and just try and, and offer some perspective. Great. It's a, it's a great company, great people. Um, and so definitely go check out Charette, what Charette's doing generally at charettevg.com uh, and reach out to Emily and the crew over there. All right. We're here to talk about branding today because we have the, the branding experts here from Charette to talk about what branding is and why it's important. And we're going to talk about 10 lessons that they've learned through rebranding all of these architects, these investment partners and others uh, on, on creating new brands for architecture firms. And we're talking about 10, 10 lessons that they've learned. So before we do that, uh, Zylea, could you maybe th- talk about what branding is so we can sort of have a foundation on what we're talking about and why it's important for architects specifically? Sure, thank you. Um, So we consider a brand being ultimately who your clients think you are. Um, So it's everything from uh, your mission statement, you know, what you do and why you do it, um, all of your messaging and your visual identity. So we consider it very holistically. You know, some people think of a brand as being just a logo or something like that, but it's actually your logo is one small part of the visual identity. And then we also include all messaging uh, including your mission statement, your about statement, your bios. So it's really a holistic view. Um, so yeah, a brand is ultimately who your clients think you are. Um, and it's all these factors, tangible and intangible, that encompasses your brand. Yeah. Um, and I, we think, no, sorry. I, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, we just think that um, if you are only focusing on one part of this, you know, it can be a little weak. So we really try to make sure the messaging and the visual identity are coherent and that we work together. So Emily and I work on messaging and we work alongside Lisa who works mostly on the visual identity. Yeah, super, super. You can't miss one. (laughs) Yeah, it's super important that it's it's holistic, that it's all inclusive because it it is about what people think about you. Uh, Jeff Eccles, our our, um, uh, brand strategy guy over at Entree Architect, he always likes to use the quote from Jeff Bezos the people, your brand are what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who the, you, that's your brand, right? It's about your logo. It's about, um, it's about your office. It's about your marketing materials. It's, it's, it's about the architecture you do. It's about the way the contractor talks to you and, and, and says what they say about you. It's all of it. Right. And it does include the brand and, or the, the logo and all the, the, the visual aspects to it as well. Um, but it's all, it's all of it, right? It's the story that people say when they say, oh, this is your architecture firm. This is what I know about you. And so it's, uh, it's important to, uh, to look at every aspect of it. And we're going to go through 10 lessons. Um, what's the first lesson? Who's going to talk about the first lesson here on branding? I will, Emily. Right. Um, so number one, make sure you're rebranding for the right reasons. Um, and, and I like to lead off with with some of the wrong reasons, which are which are kind of um, interesting. Um, don't use a rebrand as a substitution for business development activities. I mean, if you if you recognize your brand or you think your brand is not working well, um, make sure you're looking at every every other uh, every other activity you're doing in marketing and business development to see if it's working. Um, because often designers love to throw design at a problem and, um, <laughs> and design their way out of a problem when actually maybe you just need to pick up the phone and, and schedule some meetings and meet people one-on-one and, and get your business development program uh, improved and, and functioning successfully. The same thing with a marketing program. You know, if, you, if you're struggling with brand awareness and, and you think people don't know who you are, don't recognize you in the marketplace, that certainly is a reason to rebrand, but make sure that you are doing everything else um, in your marketing activities to um, to to get your name out there. Uh, because if you're not if you don't have a consistent marketing program, it doesn't matter how strong your brand is. You know, nobody's you're you're not doing the other activities necessary to promote it. So is it is it important to get those other things done right first and then rebrand, or is it just just don't expect that rebranding is going to fix all those other problems. Don't expect that it's going to fix all those other problems. Certainly, if you're a startup, you have to have, you know, you start with, with the branding and then, you know, build these, these programs um, it, it, alongside that. But just be aware. I think that's the importance. So just be aware of, 
and really realistically looking at your strengths and weaknesses in business development and marketing, because your branding is, is, is an effort. You know, it's, um, it really needs to be done well. And we'll talk about that in some other points today, but, um, but you don't want to rebrand often and you want to make sure you have all of your other activities um, working at full capacity. Right. Okay, great. That's, I think that's super important because yeah. I think a lot of architects, like you mentioned, we're creative, right? And we, we think, okay, well, maybe if I redesign the website and get a new brand and you know, a new logo and all of the things that, that come along with branding, um, that it'll fix all my problems, that it'll bring in new work and it'll attract the, the clients that I want and they'll sign the contracts. And, but there's a whole bunch of other pieces to it, right? There's, yeah. there's marketing is different than branding and sales is different than branding and financial management is different than branding. And, and so you have to get all those other pieces right as well. Yeah. And we often, sometimes you see um, firms that rebrand as a morale boost. And that's mm. an internal, that's an internal problem. Like that's, you know, you, you might be looking at your operations um, if that's the case. Um, so you just want to make sure that's just another one of the quote unquote, um, potentially wrong reasons to rebrand. Um, that would be more of an internal reason, uh, which, which the brand isn't, um, isn't 100% guaranteed to fix any yeah. internal problems that you're, you're having within your The brand's not going to fix your, your, your poor culture. No, no, it's not. It, you can gloss over it, but it's not, certainly not going to fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some of the right reasons, we can talk about some of the right reasons yeah. to keep yeah. the rebranding. If, uh, we want to move forward there. Um, so just be aware if your brand isn't serving you. And it might not be serving you for, for many reasons. Uh, potentially, you might have a leadership transition or new principles coming into the, the leadership team. You might have a name-based firm that you're choosing to, I mean, a, a proper name-based firm that you're um, choosing to rebrand to a, a different name. Uh, maybe your brand doesn't fit your overall growth strategy, so you want to move into new markets or a new geography, but, but your existing brand is tied to an old way of doing things, and it doesn't relate to your new interests. Um, maybe it's an outdated or non-memorable identity. Often we see an identity that's not done intentionally in the first place, and there's nothing wrong with that. So sometimes when, when a firm principal goes off on their own, they might um, hang a shingle and really quickly put their name up and do a very simple brand just to get the business up and running. But, you know, a few years later, the brand isn't serving them anymore. You know, maybe they get, they grow their staff, they, they change their direction and they realize that the brand needs to be a little bit more intentional. Um, so that's another reason. We've uh, worked with a firm who had uh, confusion in the marketplace. There was another firm that had a similar name. Uh, that might be a reason to rebrand. It might be a major life change, like a divorce and a changing of your name. Um, and it might be a combination of you know, all of the above. But, but there are plenty of good reasons to rebrand. Yeah, I think that, that, that lack of an intentional focus, of an intentional brand, is probably pretty common with architects. Mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that many of us, when we start, we just start. Uh, especially with firms that start like now, when economies are bad, maybe you lost your job or you're making this decision based on other reasons. Uh, and you just jump in and you just start working because that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that brand becomes established unintentionally, right? We had mentioned earlier that you have a brand whether you, it's intentional or not. It's already there. It's but people talk about you. And so even if you didn't intentionally put it out there, there's already a brand out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and often it's put there by you know TV shows on HGTV, <laughs> right, of what architects do and what architects are. Um, and that's, that's another piece of why branding is important. It's, it's, we need to tell our own story as architects, as a profession, mm -hmm. and each individual architect has the responsibility of doing that themselves mm -hmm. to sort of fill in the gaps of what HGTV is teaching people about what architects do. Yeah. And often, and often firms evolve, you know, firms might be very different. I'm sure a lot of your listeners who have started their own firms really can recognize how different their firm is five or 10 years down the line from when they first hung their shingles, so to speak. Um, and you know, the brand needs to respond to that and reflect that and, and reflect where the vision for the future of the firm as well. Um, and not, not just look to the past. Yeah. So does that, does that cover us for uh, number one rebrand for the right reasons? It does. And I'll go to number two. 
which is understand the problem you're trying to solve, right? Uh, as designers, we're, we're very aware of solving problems and, and look at your brand the same way, understand what problem needs to be solved and why. Again, is this truly a, a branding problem? You know, do you need a full rebrand? Do you just need a, a freshening up of your existing brand? Or maybe you just need messaging work. Maybe your value proposition isn't clearly defined and we need to improve that. And the brand doesn't need, uh, doesn't need changing. It just needs better support through messaging. Um, and to understand how you wanna be positioning, positioned through branding work, you really need to understand how you're currently positioned as well. And uh, we're, we're working with a firm now on a rebrand and I spent quite a bit of time interviewing their, their, um, their key clients to really better understand their perception in the marketplace and most importantly, their value proposition and make sure that what they were telling me was in alignment with what their clients were telling me. And that was a really interesting exercise. We like to do that. Um, if, if, if it's appropriate, we like to do that uh, for our clients because it really helps understand positioning and, and where you stand in the marketplace and, and anything you need to change. In this case, they didn't need to change anything, but, um, but it, it helps better understand the, the problem. And we like to develop a creative brief to frame the problem. We'll talk a little bit more about the creative brief throughout this podcast, but um, it the creative brief really uh, defines and frames what the branding work needs to achieve. Um, you know, what's the mission, vision, value proposition? What's the competitive environment? What's the desired positioning versus the current positioning? And, uh, and, it, and it also gets into aesthetic preferences, et cetera, et cetera. It can cover a lot, but it should be short and sweet and, um, and concise. And if you have multiple partners, it's really important that all the partners kind of sign off on the brief so that the problem uh, is framed correctly in a way that the designers and design team uh, that, that's helping with the branding work can respond to. So with a creative brief, do you, do you want to, um, when you have multiple partners, you have one creative brief that, that everybody agrees on, not one creative brief from each partner and then, oh, no. <laughs> and then we'll figure out how to come, come together with the three. No, no, definitely not. And that, I think a third party is really valuable yeah. to help to, to really interview everybody involved. We, we interview staff members as well and we pull all that information together. We figure out where there are potential disjoints and try and clarify those and, and get, get to the bottom of it. So in the end, we have a, a document that's, uh, guiding a guiding document that that helps the designer better understand uh the, the problem to solve and also make sure that everybody is starting from being on the same page and i know Zylea can speak to this because she works a lot with mission vision and value proposition work and we have multiple partners it's it's interesting to have them work independently on their mission statements or what they feel their brand values are and see what the commonalities are and Zylea, maybe you want to speak to that a little bit um, too, about your experience with that mission work in the creative brief process. Sure. Um, yeah, like Emily said, you know, there needs to be some kind of consensus. And I actually have found that the mission creation process with multiple stakeholders and owners can be really valuable for them to yeah, get on the sure. same page and to reassess why they started the business or became partners in the first place. So it can be a really powerful exercise, you know, not just so you have a refreshed, you know, about statement on your website, but really internally, mm -hmm. it can help reinforce, you know, why they got into the business in the first place and why yeah. they work together. I think vision and mission are so important. They are absolutely a requirement, whether you're branding rebranding or not. Um, it should be one of the first things we do when we're starting a new firm. But even if you're not starting a new firm, if you don't have a very specific mission statement and a and a vision statement. So if you don't know what your big idea is and why you're you're pursuing that big idea, you need to do that right now. You need to do that first because that guides every single other thing that you do. And so that's that's critical to branding, but it's critical to successful business as well. Absolutely. So number so number one was uh, rebrand for the right reasons. Number two was understand the problems you're trying to solve. So make sure that, that you understand why you're doing a rebrand. So what's number three? 
Number three is one of my personal favorites. It is know your target audience. Hint, it's not other architects. Yeah, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a big, big problem in our profession. I think a lot of architects are talking to other architects, right? Their right? websites wanna, are portfolios that want to impress the other architects out there rather than you know, generate new work and new clients and bring in, bring in the work that you're looking for. Exactly. So how do we do that? How do we know who our tar target audience is? Yes, great question. Um, so we want to make sure your brand is appealing, attractive, and compelling to your target audience. Uh, so that includes the visual identity and the messaging, of course. So one thing to think about is, I mean, the first thing we recommend is coming up with kind of your target client avatar, so to mm -hmm. speak. So, you know, you can create a, a sample persona, or you can think about one of your favorite uh, your favorite clients that actually exists. One of our firms did this recently. They had a client they really, really loved in the New York City area. And we just basically kind of fleshed out a persona of that client um, to serve as the avatar, the baseline for who they wanted to target in the future. Because if they could, they would just keep designing houses for this one person. Right. <laughs> that's not right. how it works though, right? Um, so that's a great way to start is just um, sitting down if it's just you or if there are multiple partners, you know, sitting down with the leaders of the firm and really trying to figure out, and it could be everything. It could be, you know, age, geographic location, what kind of job they have, why they are building a new house or, you know, if it's a commercial client what their main goal is, you know, is it hitting the budget or is it, you know, meeting some other kind of metric? Um, so really, you know, as detailed as possible is not a bad idea. Um, and then with your target client avatar, um, looking at your messaging and making sure that your, your mission, your vision, your project descriptions, et cetera, it sounds like you're speaking directly to your target client and not to other architects. Right. You want to resonate with that ideal client, that, that client that you want to attract, the client that mm -hmm. you want to work with, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, when they come to your website and they see what you have on your website and they're reading the words that are on your website, you want to make an emotional connection with them. You want to make sure that that, that resonates with them, that they feel like, oh, we're home. This is the architect that we're looking for. Um, and, and going through that process of identifying who your target market is, who your ideal client is, by going through your list of past clients, right? Mm -hmm. and, and identifying those clients that not only you enjoyed working with, but they paid you on time, and they paid you what you were worth, and they didn't push back when you sent them an invoice, and when there was a problem that they understood that this was part of the process, and they were reasonable in, in resolving those problems. Who is that client, right? And, and imagine if every client was like that client, right? That's your goal, right? With built redesigning or rebranding, your goal is to attract more of those clients. So your entire project list is full of ideal clients and that's all you're working with. And you can do that through branding. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's super important. Number three, know your target audience. Um, go through that process of understanding who they are uh, and why they are your target audience. Um, and, and, Make sure they are actually your ideal client, right? Because there may be a client that you really wish you had. I really wish I had a whole list of those clients, but maybe they're not really ideal for your business or for you as an architect. So you have to go through that, that process. All right, so that's number three. Anything else on number three on knowing your target yeah, audience? Just a quick note, actually. Yeah. One more thing you can do is once you start working with um, either a graphic designer or an agency or a copywriter, you can run, if you have some um, brand identity options or some messaging options, you can actually run those by, let's say you have a favorite client who's become a friend, yeah. you know, or someone in your, in, on your team who is also really good at messaging or really good at graphic design, just to review it, you know, and just to kind of uh, share their ideas. So if you are close to someone who happens to be, you know, like your target uh, audience, it can be really useful to get an outside opinion. Yeah, great, great suggestion. All right, number four, what's number four? Yes, number four is making sure that you can commit the time, energy, and cost that a proper rebrand will require. So kind of going off what Emily said, you know, rebranding for the right reasons is really important, but you also wanna make sure you're rebranding at the right time, meaning 
it's a time in the year, you know, a time in your cycle where um, you have, you know, you're not all completely working 200% on projects. You know, there is some staff time that can be dedicated to gathering all of the content you're going to need, um, taking the time to work closely with the graphic designer and the messaging team. Um, so even if you hire a group of, you know, highly competent professionals, it will require work from the team, from the staff. So making sure, um, yeah, it's the right time, you have the energy and you have a proper budget to do it right. You know, because we think the brand is so important. Um, it's not really something that you wanna, you know, just phone in. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you really have to be dedicated to the process and it's quite the process. So is there a pre, is there, so if somebody comes to Charette and they wanna rebrand and, and they, is there a pre-process process <laughs> How do they establish a brand, right? If I or a, a budget, if I have no idea what it costs, and I'm not going to ask you that now, but how do you go through that process of understanding how much it costs, how much they should have in the budget in order to do this right? How do they do that? Is that well, through some an interview? Yeah, definitely. There would be a discovery phase where we really try, again, we're trying to frame the problem. We're trying to better understand yep. the problem that needs to be solved. And certainly if somebody came to us and, and said they needed, they thought they needed a rebrand and we discovered that maybe that wasn't the right solution, right. we would, right. we would share that, you know, we really would. And, um, and sometimes firms need new names and that we do renaming as well. And, and that, is another layer of the process. Um, and there are different, you know, there are different scopes that obviously we, we can propose and that's why the pricing can, can vary. And yeah. that's why we don't, you know, like to give a flat price because every firm needs something different, but, um, but just start with a conversation. And, and that's at the very, at the very least, we could start with a creative brief and begin to frame the problem and understand it better. And we've done creative briefs where, we just, uh, we've done a creative brief and, and handed it off because they had a, a, a team that they wanted to work with, but they needed somebody who understood the industry a little bit better. And that's, that's where we come in is having a great understanding about branding in this industry. Right. So then if they had a different designer they wanted to use, they could certainly use our team, but if they wanted to use a different one, we could say, okay, here's the problem as it is, we believe correctly framed and understood and then hand that over. And what about time? How, how long does it typically, let's, let's say I need a full, you've gone through this process and I know we're going to do a full rebranding, new name, new, new everything, or, or, I, or I'm launching a new firm and I want to do this right. How much time do you think it'll take? I'm going to let Lisa answer that because <laughs> I know the answer, but I want that depends on the architect, yeah. right? It varies. It varies a lot. I think it depends, you know, following a lot of the steps that we're talking about here. Um, sometimes it, the approval process is held up a lot by the client um, or sometimes, you know, it's like we have a, a strict schedule we work with and um, I would say if everything goes really smoothly from the time that we have a new name to the time that we launch the logo and the website about three months is pretty realistic. Um, but it does vary. We've had them, we've had, we've worked with, uh, partners up to a year, um, on just really kind of making sure that everybody was happy with, yeah. with, with what they were getting. I'm sure when there are lots of people involved and lots of uh, decision makers and they have to mm -hmm. all agree um, on a very big decision, right? What are we going to name our baby that we're creating here? Um, it is probably a really difficult process when you have multiple people involved. Yeah, I think we've definitely developed these top 10 takeaways from our experience and from what worked best and what helped that process move along smoothly. Yeah, well earned. All right, so mm -hmm. number five. Who's got number five? I, I can. All right. It's prioritize, pr it. prioritize quality over quantity. Yep. Prioritize quality over quantity. And um, this is especially true when you're deciding on what to share um, on your website or in collateral. Um, I feel like Zalia and I work with clients all the time where we're, um, you know, they want to showcase a hundred different projects or every project they've ever done since, you know, they, they graduated. Um, and it's, it's really important to remember 
uh, and going back to one of Zylea's earlier points about um, your target audience, you kind of want to place that same filter on what it is that you're sharing on your website. Um, so again, you know, you're kind of, the other part of quality over quantity is, is what projects do you have quality information on? So do you have nice photography? Do you have nice descriptions and specifications? Because people don't really want, you know, to spend a lot of time just flipping through half done projects. Um, and then this also applies to your messaging. So there are lots of studies and statistics on how much word counts um, or, pair, you know, kind of like the amount of text that people actually have the attention span for um, in 2020. And it is, it's important to keep that in mind because, yeah. um, you know, a lot of times our clients want to give really lengthy, long stories about their projects, but you actually have a better chance of people stopping and reading if you have a more succinct and concise description. And yeah, that goes across all, all platforms. So, and and going back to one of the earlier subjects about about target market, it, we have to remember why we're doing this, right? Why who this brand is for? This brand is to attract the clients that you want to for you to hire, right? You want to convert them into clients. Mm -hmm. And how often do architects have websites that are again? knowing who your target audience is, designed for other architects rather than your ideal client, mm -hmm. um, full of really beautiful photography, no call to action, no reference to what is, will resonate with an ideal client, but it's really impressive to other architects. Um, how important is that, that they focus on designing and, and um, uh, selecting what will be in the website and what won't be in the website and the brand in general uh, in terms of, of quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wait, was that a question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there was a question mark on the end. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I agree completely. I think that, um, you know, Zaili is always saying that your website is not an archival tool for everything that you've ever done. Um, it should, it's a sales tool and right. it's, um, you know, the call to actions are incredibly important and we work with clients all the time. I think that the most recent statistic is two clicks and under, um, somebody should be able to get in touch with somebody or kind of complete their call to action. And so we, we definitely try to incorporate, incorporate that throughout the sites wherever and whenever we can. Yeah. All I have, right. I have one point I want to yep. add to that Go if ahead, I could. Yep. And that's that um, recruiting is also another, you know, talent recruitment mm -hmm. is, can also right, be right. your desired uh, audience in, in conjunction with finding new clients. So always remember to showcase your staff, you know, especially with small firms, it's great to be a little bit, you know, to really show who your staff members are so so that potential new recruits and employees can can understand your firm culture a little bit better so that's just another aspect of of branding that that's important to consider yeah great great point all right uh number six what's number six air on the side of simplicity Right. Um, so this is, you know, again, not having an overly complicated brand identity that competes with your, with your photos, which really should be kind of like the trophy, the showcase of the site. Um, so yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of different like aesthetic tricks, like you, you don't want to have a ton of color because again, you want the photos to be, uh, nice and clean on a background. Um, you want to keep the graphic elements to a minimum. Um, and that, that goes for architecture firms, but that also just goes for the kind of digital landscape that we're living in in 2020. Um, meaning that a lot of us are looking at sites on our phone. I think that like the majority of sites um, are actually visited via phone or tablet these days. So if you have a ton of things going on or you're trying to communicate a bunch of different things graphically, um, it just ends up getting lost. Um, and then another, another point to keep in mind here is kind of like your, your social media and how um, your, your um, brand identity is translated to really, I mean, we're talking about half of an inch of a space, you know, and how, and how can we kind of keep a consistent messaging and keep a consistent visual language in, in all of these different um, viewpoints. 
Yeah. So, so simplicity over complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, number seven. Sure. Uh, recognize complicated interpersonal dynamics between partners and make. Oh boy, I'm sure this is a big one. <laughs> yeah, it is. We, we we can't not say this. Uh, so make decision making objective through a creative brief, and that's the the, the helpful part. Um, is that we can try and and make decision making a little bit more objective. So, I think anybody who's who's been through branding work. Uh, has experienced this uh, rebranding can can bring out partnership conflicts and alliances, and that's fine. It's completely natural, because branding feels much more personal than a basic architectural design collaboration. It's it's really a firm's a brand is often just a firm's baby. Uh, many partners, if you have multiple partners, they have different relationships kind of to the brand, especially if the old brand is one of the founding partners' names and you're uh, losing that or or adding a name. Uh, you know, this is a very it's very personal and introspective work, and that's why I keep uh, emphasizing the need for a creative brief because it really helps to if you know if you're struggling with some questions to really refer back to to the to the brief and say this this really helps let's say um you get into the conversation about well i like blue but but bill doesn't like blue but susan prefers red you know it's not about as much about personal preference as it is about what is blue the right color to represent the brand and right. the um and the, the intention around the rebrand you know lisa can speak to this that colors just have many different associations beyond what we like or don't like as you know as individuals and, and designers are making those sophisticated choices uh based on the the intention the branding intention so so that's important to recognize um and it just helps to um also define your your milestones when we're just getting back and talking to, about process a little bit. Um, as you're moving along, and I'm, I'm speaking about potentially a firm with, with multiple partners trying to come to consensus at different phases, really understand what milestones would be difficult to reverse. And this the same goes for the architecture process, you know, when, it's sort of, when a phase is complete, it's really hard to redesign or it just is much more labor intensive to, to go to reverse some design decisions at different phases. And just be aware of that um, and be aware as, uh, you know, as partners that there are times you just need to sign off on a specific phase. Yeah, as, as, as somebody who, as I get older, I my and my priorities become more focused. One of the things that I've learned through time is that the process is not as important as the result. Right? That once you if you have a goal and this is this goal is to achieve something, let's say we want to have a brand that works, right? How we get there is less important than whether that brand works. Right. So and as architects and as designers, we always have a very specific opinion and very often that opinion. I don't want to, you know, diverge from that opinion. I if I like red, I want red, but red's not going to get me my goal. You need to open up your your uh, control over the process. Let the experts guide you through that process with the result being the, the ultimate prize. That when that result works and you have the clients that you want and you're designing the architecture you want, it doesn't matter whether it's red or blue or green or purple or any of the other pieces that come along with the branding process. The name is not as important as the result of what that name brings you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's your identity. It's your, the name of your business, but it's not that important. What's important is how you're serving the world. And yeah. if that name and that brand will help you better serve the world, then that's your ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to ask Lisa to talk a little bit about color palettes, just because yeah. we started talking about red and blue, and she's great at selecting and proposing color palettes. Do you have anything to that you know you'd like to talk about around that, about how you come up with that? Yeah, I think that um, you know it's it's it's. I think it's best for architects to have one major color that they're they're working with. And again, that kind of goes back to the original point of not having it compete too much with the design. Um, 
But one of my favorite tricks on how on choosing colors for clients is actually just looking and studying their work. Uh, what kind of materials do they use? Um, we have one client, uh, one of my favorite color palettes, actually, um, I actually just grabbed the color from their work and it was like this beautiful, deep brick color. And, and it was just really not a color that they would have ever been drawn to or even noticed. I think they, they were very much in the, we want blues. They kind of had um, some more like, you know, just kind of basic blue colors. Um, and then they ended up really loving it. And it, the other issue that we were having with them is that they had um, a lot of competitors that were using kind of a, a lot of the colors we were looking at initially. So with this, brick color that um, again was pulled directly from their work. Um, they stood out from all of their competitors and um, it was just, it worked out really well for them. Yeah, I love that idea. I could imagine them seeing red and saying, wow, I love that color, <laughs> but, not, but not know why. Well, it's because yeah. you specified it on the last five and projects. Actually, you clearly like that color. And it wasn't even a color that they chose. It's a color, it's a material that they used that would, yep. would rest. So it was more of like a rust color. Right, um, right. So yeah, it wasn't even something they were specifically drawn or choosing. It was just something they were drawn to. Yeah, the materials. Yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. All right, so we are through number seven. What is number eight? What's the eight number eight lesson? That is designate an internal rebrand champion to keep the process moving. I'm sure and that's an important one when there's multiple people involved. Absolutely. And um, it could be an administrator in your firm. But the person, whoever you choose, needs to be really empowered to uh, crack the whip when necessary. Um, you know, because often when when you're dealing with multiple decision makers and you get hit, hit a stalling point, it's only human nature to just uh, you know maybe stall a little bit or not want to make a decision right away, kick the can down the road, um, and the process as a result grinds to a halt. And it's really helpful to have somebody who's kind of on the more neutral and the no more neutral realm say, nope, nope, we got to make this decision. We've got to schedule the next meeting because momentum really needs to continue for everyone's sake. You know, these processes can go on and on and, um, and, and then people start getting a little bit, you know, less excited about it. And it just really needs to get done. Like any design project, you know, needs to get done. And so if you choose this champion, their responsibility should be you know, setting deadlines and meeting times and making sure everybody does their homework, everybody's reviewed the materials they said they would, everybody's bringing um, you know, what, what they're responsible for to the table and ensuring a productive meeting environment, you know, making sure that a conference room is set up with video you know, in 2021, it'll look different than last year, but you know, making sure everybody's in the same virtual room or room that they need to be to make a decision, um, that the right people are in attendance um, to really enforce meeting attendance and um, letting people know that if they voluntarily, you know, miss a meeting, that they need to that they need to be responsible for arranging their feedback kind of in advance, and they still need to be in the loop. And how are we going to do that? Um, and then also, this person is a liaison between the graphic designer and the firm leader, so making sure. Again, I think it was Ilea that in one of her points talking about all of the, the items that, that the firm is responsible for that the graphic designer can't know what, you know, doesn't know about, right? These are the project photography, which projects to use, the bios, these kinds of things. Somebody needs to be fielding these resources back and forth and making sure they get done. And that's where a kind of brand champion is, is helpful, a rebrand champion uh, in gathering and delivering assets. Does that does that have to be somebody within the firm, or can that be somebody that the firm outsources that role to? I like it to be somebody in the firm uh, because you really need to know the server. You know, the mm -hmm. idea is that this isn't the highest and best use of principal's time right. to be sorting through and and you know grabbing every photo and and doing some of the uh, more administrative side of this project. And that if it's somebody in the firm who knows where these things are readily, that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, I can't go into your server and know what project, you know, what projects you want and know all the information about what year they were created and, you know, what project manager was on that, you know, right. that particular project. You know that. And, and your, I, I, ideally, your, your rebrand champion knows that too. 
And and it's somebody who who is committed to the process. Somebody mm-hmm. who has has some buy in as well. Yeah, and and it's and it's just to reinforce this person should be empowered to. Um, That's very important, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it shouldn't be somebody who just you know potentially an administrator who joined the firm a week ago. You know, although that person might be empowered, but somebody really needs to be able to push back on the principles and make sure they're getting what what, what they need to. Yeah, they have to have the authority to make yeah. those those decisions. They're not making final decisions for the brand or the process, but they're making decisions on timelines and mm-hmm. and getting people to do what they're supposed to do. And if they don't have any authority or power, that that's not going to work very well. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we're up to number nine. Number nine. Yeah. Number nine is uh, is really just an extension of number eight, which is to manage that feedback constructively. So whoever that point person is. Um, just making sure, you know, as architects, I feel like architects get when a client comes to the table and has feedback, but it's not necessarily constructive or it doesn't necessarily um, move the process along. So again, this one is really just a kind of how can we make this process as smooth as possible? And, um, you know, having that point person come to the table and bring feedback um, Visual examples always help and clear communication, what they do or do not like about the design direction um, just helps move the process along. All right. So we are through nine. So let me just recap the nine and then we'll wrap things up with number 10. Number one is rebrand for the right reasons. Number two is understand the problem you're trying to solve. Number three is know your target audience. Number four, commit to the time, energy, and cost that a proper rebrand will require. Number five is prioritize quality over quantity. Number six is err on the side of simplicity. Number seven, recognize complicated interpersonal dynamics between partners. Number eight, designate an internal brand champion to keep the process moving. And number nine, deliver feedback constructively. What is number 10 of your 10 lessons? Number 10 is to trust the experts. Um, You know, that's what we're here for. Uh, And like I mentioned before, we pulled these kind of top 10 uh, processes in in order to make the, um, uh, to take advantage of our, of of what we've learned so far in in rebranding. the, the, the many architects that we have. Um, it's also really important to have fun during the process and um, know that once your identity is out in the world, it's up to you to build on it, maintain it, and amplify it. I think that's that number 10 is probably the most important piece is trust the experts because I think architects, they are often in the position of being the expert. And so it's difficult to hand that expertise off to somebody else, especially in a creative process like rebranding they want control over it. They think they know how to do this because they're designers, because they're creative, because they're architects and artists. Um, but you're not a marketing expert. You're not a branding expert. Yes, you could create a brand. You can go through the process and, and become a great uh, design and, and create a great brand. But when you hire an expert team to do it, let them do it. Get out of their way and let them do it. And think about what I said before. Think about the result right? Commit to that creative brief, commit to that end goal. This is where we want to go. This is the, the reasons we're doing this. And then let them do it. Be there to answer the questions, be there to make the decisions, but don't try to, to lead the process. Let the experts lead the process and you'll end up in a much better place. And most likely, much like your architecture projects often end up somewhere very different than your client thought they would, but they're very happy in the place that they end up you too may end up in a place very different if you let them in a very different place than you thought you would because you let the process play out. Um, and so definitely trust the experts. Anything, anything else that any of the three of you'd like to talk about that last one or any of the others before we wrap things up? No, all good. All right. So their names, Emily Hall, Zylea Burroughs and Lisa Saldivar, uh, they are the team from Charette Venture Group. You can learn all about Charette Venture Group at charettevg.com. Charette Venture Group is at charettevg.com. We will have a link to that on the show notes. Um, there's an article that lists all 10 of these, these lessons and a video 
at on the website at charettevg.com. Just click the uh, free learning section at the very top, and you can go right to it. It's in there. There's all kinds of great resources over there, so I recommend that you go check out the free learning section over at charettevg.com. Um, Emily, Zailia, and Lisa, thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for what you're doing for the profession, that each time you help an architect become more successful, you're helping to reinforce and, and strengthen the profession at large. And as an architect, I thank you for the work that you're doing uh, individually with your investment partners and the people that you're working with, but also by helping to strengthen, uh, I know the mission of Charette Venture Group. I know what Matt intended when he started Charette Venture Group. Uh, and the work that the three of you are doing is a critical piece of that mission. So I thank you for what you're doing for Charette, but also uh, at a much larger level, thank you for what you do for the profession. Thanks so much, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to rcat.com and Studio Services Bookkeeping for their support of this episode. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We are curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources for small firm architects, live monthly training, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for you, small firm entrepreneur architects. It's all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. Come join me and hundreds of your Entree Architect peers. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll. entrearchitect.com slash join. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. 
Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.